0: Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode four. It's hard to believe we've had four episodes already. I'm so thankful for everyone who's helped out and uh, contributed to this, as well as all of you guys for giving some feedback and telling me what you think. I really do want to hear that. This will wrap up our series about race and ethnicity. I'm really proud of this one. I'm so thankful for uh, for this whole series, for Pedro, Sam, Keegan, Sierra, for sharing their hearts with us. And I think just listening to people is honestly the best way that we can ever take another look at someone else's perspective or at something in the world that we might be missing. So uh, I'm excited for what's to come. If you want to hear more about that, just listen all the way to the end. I'll be giving you a little preview of what's coming up next after this episode. But for now, we have episode four. This episode is about white privilege. I got to interview my friend Steve, who is a social studies teacher and just a really wise guy. And just be warned, this episode is not for the faint of heart. This is not an episode about how white people are the worst or how I hate white people or anything like that. It is mainly about how we as white people in America can look at other races and just understand how we have, as Steve will say, have been given a bit of a head start. And I think that's a really good way to put it. We'll talk more about that and and what we can do with it. But go into this one with an open mind and there's some heavy stuff. And I think it's important for us all to at least wrestle with it. I'm not saying you have to agree with Steve and I. I'm just saying to see the world clearly, these topics we cover today are something you should at least consider. So thanks again for listening. I'm I'm really honored for you to even be listening to uh, all the way to this point in the series. Um, One more warning. If you're not a friend, if you're not a big fan of cuss words, uh, Steve does use a couple of them. They're mainly in humor and they may or may not be bleeped i don't know if i can do that or not i don't think any of them are really offensive or anything but be warned don't listen with your kids i'm sure everyone's doing that all right here's steve So, Steve, today I've uh, decided to interview you about white privilege, mostly because you're so white.
1: I'm about as white as you possibly can get. <laughs> so, um, my dad did this uh, DNA, one of those DNA swab tests. Okay. And like, I knew it was like Dutch and Irish and stuff. Mm-hmm. Then I came back. I was like 25% Swedish or some such like that. Yeah. It's like, oh shit, when I could not get any whiter. <laughs> let's throw some Scandinavian in there.
0: Oh, man. <laughs> That's so funny. So you are a history teacher, social studies. Right? That is
1: correct. Now, remind me a little bit, you grew up Montana, correct? Yeah, I grew up in Montana. I was born in Great Falls. Um, lived in South Dakota for a bit and uh, Wyoming for a bit. So, All right.
0: So when we talk about the uh, white privilege, racism, stuff like we're going to talk about today, when why Why would you be personally interested in this stuff, or when has it um, become interesting to you on a
1: personal level? On a personal level, because um, I don't really think you can get away from race, racism, or white privilege in American history, and that's kind of sure. what I study and, and with, what I'm interested yeah. in. Uh, I think it really influences how this country is played out and why things are the way they are on top of that too i teach a lot i teach mostly it's not really diverse group it's basically white kids and native americans Mm. so having that interplay of how that works i think is kind of valuable in what i do sweet okay so let's just start off with a basic question
0: here um If any of our listeners are like me, growing up in eastern South Dakota, racism really seemed to be a past tense for me. So some of these basic ideas we might need to just kind of define right up front. So what would you say if I said, what is white privilege?
1: Well, I would consult this paper that I have here, which has a definition I wrote (laughs) about it. Um, This is going to be my like super academic version of it, which would be uh, centuries worth of systematic discrimination leading to unequal economic, social, and political outcomes for the non-white population, or a social attitude in which only white citizens are seen as full citizens or people by the non-white citizens and are thus reduced only to their race. Uh, to de-translate that to like normal person speak, yeah, uh, I would say it's that the United States has lived in a, has created a system which has privileged white status throughout its history. It's the reason you don't see, you don't hear about black baseball stars before 1947. Right. It's the reason you don't see a black president before
0: 2009 man I just saw on ESPN today uh, Satchel Page was like 42 when he debuted in MLB something like that
1: yeah it was still pretty good
0: as I recall, <laughs> yeah. too. okay so going along that line or were you done
1: uh, well I got one thing I could throw in here because okay, cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote somebody smarter than me when it comes to this Perfect. this is probably the best um, example Okay. Um, Martin Luther King actually described this phenomenon way, way back when. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, and paraphrase here, he says, imagine a foot race okay. where one person was allowed to run for three quarters of the race. And then the other person gets to start. Mm-hmm. That's basically white privilege in a nutshell.
0: And then a lot of times, maybe the white people are kind of looking back. Why aren't you with us? Exactly. Right. Exactly.
1: And that's... Mm the reason you get that head start is all a consequence from slavery hmm. if the united states has been around hmm. since 1776 colonial colonialism in the united states goes back to about the 15 1600s hmm. until 1865 the black population is literally chattel they are property of the white population hmm. The result is wealth is concentrated, political rights is concentrated, only in the white population. And in terms of political rights, it's until it's still another hundred years before you have full voting rights in the United States. Hmm. It's not like we just fix racism one day and now right. everything is equal. It's that one group had a massive head start. Hmm.
0: Yeah, Abe Lincoln or Martin Luther King didn't. I think growing up, I, I assumed after they came, we were we were all good, we're all even.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's and that's how I always kind of learned it too. It was mm. that's, well, it was at this point in history we fixed this problem. Now we've marched further down towards progress. We've marched to uh, the Voting Rights Act, and now we fixed that. Now everything's equal, and we need to do nothing else for the rest of time. Sure, because we fixed <laughs> yeah. racism, and all those consequences <laughs> no longer exist so last the last episode i
0: recorded um i interviewed a couple of my friends who are native and they're my age and the girl her grandpa was in a boarding school right that's how recent it was (laughs) you know it's crazy um okay so along that line what are a few ways that you would say that america was set up for white people to succeed (laughs) specifically
1: slavery okay yeah big one there. <laughs> i think that's um for that i um this will get a bit, get into a few other things like intersectionality so it's not just that white people were set up to succeed but also that males are set up to succeed those who are already rich were set up to succeed mm. but yes. it's yep. reserving political rights at the republic's inception only to white male property owners mm. It's going to be the 1820s before the property restrictions are more or less lifted. It will be 1870 was the passage of the 15th Amendment. So that's universal male suffrage. It's 1920 before we have uh, the rights of females to vote. Mm -hmm. So if the only people allowed to vote, if the politicians are only accountable to one subset of the population... Whose interests are they going to pay attention to? Right. So if somebody can't vote, there's no reason to pay attention to that person. Mm-hmm. So I think that is a huge, huge way it was set up. Yeah. Um, I would also note that Jim Crow until the 1960s is also going to be huge. Yeah. Jim Crow meaning just the um, segregation laws? Uh, it's not only segregation laws it's uh, what it was meant to do was get African Americans into a subservient status following the Civil War so like right after the Civil War ended you had these things called black codes that were passed okay. and what they did is they would just take the word slave cross it out and write Negro <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you like couldn't walk on the street like after dark Could not, a male couldn't be in the presence of a white woman hmm. It was all that kind of stuff. Okay. That is, there is an attempt by the federal government, there is some Civil Rights Act to try to roll that back by 1876. That's more or less just began to be ignored. And then you start seeing the passage of Jim Crow laws throughout the states. I guess to throw another thing in here, too, is a justice system that was fundamentally unequal throughout its history. Um, one of the things I do in class a lot is um, we'll talk about lynching in the South, and not just the South, throughout the United States. Okay. And this goes on until like the Great Depression, the 1930s, my grandfather's time. Wow. And one of the things I note is there's, it's not like you just have drawings of this stuff. You have actual pictures of this. Like photographs taken, put like in the local papers. And people are sitting around smiling with a corpse hanging from the tree, almost always African-American. But nobody's covering their faces. They always draw people's attention to that Hmm. because they fear no legal recrimination. Nobody's afraid of going to jail for participating in a murder. And I think that tells you a lot because that's the message this was meant to send. If you do step out of line this will happen to you. I, guess I, can, I mean, I can keep going with this, too. If we go into the North, there was unequal housing loans. There was uh, the assumption, sometimes it's backed up by the federal government, that you would not sell homes or give loans to African Americans, which is what lays to um, ghetto slums in the North where you have low property rates and everything else. So in the
0: previous podcast, we covered a little bit of the You know, reservations are kind of set up for Native Americans to fail in some to some extent, um, and then I, two other things I want to you can comment on that if you want or not, but two other things I want to hear your opinion on before we move on here are um, the Chinese Exclusion Act I believe okay. you told me about, and then the a lot of us a lot of us think you know that all americans can achieve this american dream like you're saying coming from the state same starting line but especially in this area a lot of our families are heavily influenced i believe from the homesteading act where the government was literally giving us land giving us um resources and i don't believe uh that would have been an option for very many african americans and that wealth gets passed on you know, from the Homesteading Act to, you know, I think white Midwesterners now have all really benefited from that, most of us. Um, whereas that not, wasn't necessarily an option for a lot of other races, not necessarily because they were directly excluded. but
1: Yeah, okay, I got like a thousand things to talk about. Here. Great. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I so. do want to come back to... um Uh, Native Americans, and we talk about the United States being set up for white people. Mm -hmm. um, There's really no other way to put it is we live in stolen land. This is doubly true. We um, we live in the Black Hills, which by Supreme Court decision and by the 1868 Fort Laramie Treaty is still supposed to belong to the Lakota. Mm. But we took it. Yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) have not really ever given it back. Um, yeah. Now you start thinking about all the mineral wealth that, say in the Black Hills. Every place where there has been wealth that would have belonged to, say, Native American tribes, is those tribes end up getting displaced from where that wealth that would be. Uh, we can use Oklahoma as an example, too. That was where um, we had, it's called Indian Territory way back in the Old West days. Sure. You start placing a bunch of various tribes in that area and then they find oil <laughs> and it's time to displace those tribes and incorporate a new state mm. there's actually um a really good book that turned into a mini series now called uh, catch 22 it's in world war Two, and they have a native american who's in this army unit and he has to move his tents every couple of weeks because they keep finding oil under his tents <laughs> oh man um And, uh, I guess, coming back to this, too, you mentioned boarding schools. Yeah. Uh, The goal of boarding schools was to essentially get Native Americans and Native American tribes to act more like white people. Right. So to obliterate one culture and replace it with another. Um, The reservations, they work about as well as they're intended to work and that they weren't intended to work at all. It was... (laughs) Meant as basically a measure to sometimes keep tribes happy while you were solely encroaching on their lands. Um, other times it was meant to move people away from economically valuable spots, places where you could put a railroad, mine for gold, drill for oil, etc. Now, with the boarding schools, the idea was what you're going to do is obliterate native uh, traditions, language, identity. Yeah. replace it with the prevailing white culture of the day, and then hopefully mm-hmm. the tribes would cease to exist and people would move off the reservation integrate into society as a whole. That was the goal behind it. Mm-hmm. It was coming from, at the time, they thought it was a benevolent place, but later on you kind of realize, like this sounds really, a this... lot like genocide.
0: Yeah, wow, so they were really... Some people behind that were really trying to do the right thing.
1: They thought it was the right wow. thing. I would think it's um did you ever watch Star Trek?
0: <laughs> I, I I've seen like the three most recent movies. So I'm sure that pains you greatly, but yeah.
1: <laughs> Well there's a there's the um in a lot of the T V shows there's a villain called the Borg. And what the Borg do is they go through space and they take over people's planets. They bring them on board the ship, and they turn them into more Borg. Mm. So they turn them into cyborgs. They assimilate them into Mm -hmm. their collective. So they destroy everything that was unique about them. Everything was passed. They even take away their name. Mm. And I think that's like a really kind of analogy for what the boarding schools were and what they were intended to do.
0: Well, I have one more quick question, just because this came up in our last episode. What would you say to someone, because I hear this a lot whenever I'm hearing about the history of or just uh, Native Americans, that there were broken treaties and fault was on both sides.
1: Like, What would you say to someone
0: who says that? Have,
1: have well, you heard that before? Yeah, that there's fault on both yeah, sides. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of consider that false equivalence. I don't kind of consider that to be false equivalence. It's false equivalence. At the end of the day, it was the United States governments that took the lands. The treaties were almost were pretty much exclusively broken by the United States government and almost always for economic reasons.
0: Right. Even if they believed it was out of benevolence or something.
1: Yeah, and 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 that's like in the one case. Other sure. times it was not for benevolent <laughs> reasons. Sure. Um Andrew Jackson, The Trail of Tears, was not yeah. For benevolent reasons. It was he wanted the land. Sure. He wanted to open up that land. So let's march everybody down to Oklahoma. Right. And I guess I'll tell this uh, story. The, um, this one, I, um, the Nez Perce um, Chief Joseph. Okay. They were a group out of Washington, very peaceful, got along with everybody. And then Uncle Sam wants their lands. <laughs> hmm. So they're going to start moving him into a reservation way away from where their traditional homelands were. They run, they try to fight, and are pursued. Um, And uh, up almost a canada they almost get there. Um, There's a big battle, Battle of Bear Paw, up there. That's where Chief Joseph says, I will fight no more forever. The point being was, even if you were trying to coexist, even if you were trying to be nice, your time came as well when they wanted your land. I yeah and um, I'll again bring this back sometimes tribes would agree sometimes they wouldn't I mean Native Americans are not a monoculture. it's several hundred if not thousands of different groups yeah. each of the, its own unique history but you know we're sitting right now in a place that it was a broken treaty yeah it was um, basically Western South Dakota was promised to Lakota Forever. It actually says so in the, in the Treaty of Fort Laramie. <laughs> you will have this land forever. It only lasts six years. Because wow. they found gold. Yep. Uh, Custer is the guy who actually finds gold. Yeah. And that brings out every get-rich guy out there, and they go and form an illegal gold camp called Deadwood.
0: Hmm.
1: The army is supposed to protect um, the lands. They don't do a very good job, sometimes for a variety of reasons, like the army of 1874, 1875 is not what it was during the Civil War. They didn't necessarily have the ability to do so, but they also didn't really give much of a shit anyway.
0: Sure.
1: And that's what results in um, the rebellions by Crazy Horse, by um, Sitting Bull, and a desire by the cavalry and the Grant administration to move the Native Americans off the Black Hills so we can get our hands on that damn gold. Yeah. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't really see an equivalence here. There were sometimes massacres. There were sometimes whatever. But I, I, I'll put a pin in that for a bit too. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I did want to mention Chinese exclusion and immigration. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, And the short answer on that is, I hear a lot of people say things like, um, "We talk about immigration. Well, my my grandfather, my dad, my mom, my." Mm great-great-grandpappy. They came here the right way. Well, what does that mean? Until, like, the 1850s, basically, any white guy could show up in the United States. Or a lot of black people who would rather have been left alone, to be quite honest. (laughs) And what started happening was we started having groups who broke with the major culture you had um, the Irish who show up and are not Protestants and are trying to escape a famine. You have the Germans show up who are also for the most part, not Protestants and they speak a scary language. (laughs) And you'll see a lot. If you go back and look at the old propaganda, it looks almost the same. It's like, um, you know, They're drunks, they're drug dealers, they're criminals, they're racists, those freaking Germans. Mm. They don't want to integrate. They want to keep speaking their German, (laughs) drinking their beer. (laughs) Um, But what really freaks us out are two groups in particular. Um, And it's after the Civil War, we need railway workers, and we have the Irish who are working there. But we're also seeing... A large influx of Chinese immigrants. Mm-hmm. Now, say what you want about, from the perspective of these guys, say about the Germans or the Irish. Yeah, they might be Catholics, but at least they believe in Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> what do these guys even believe in? On top of that, they work cheaper than the Irish. They don't drink for the most part, and they need a diet rich in vegetables, so they're almost never coming you know, in sick. <laughs> <laughs> So, you have the Irish get upset with them and there's a general racism towards the Chinese because they're different. They have different clothing. They have a different language. They have a different religion.
0: You can't even understand the
1: characters of their language because it's,
0: you know, Germans you could at least almost read.
1: Yeah. And by this point too, this is where the Irish are starting to be a second generation. They've been there like 20, 30 years at that point. Okay. And they're beginning to integrate. Mm -hmm. The Germans are... you know, starting to integrate. The Chinese, when they're living in places, they will live almost exclusively in certain areas. A lot of that's due to racism, a lot of that's due to familiarity, but the Chinese immigrants, it's like what we say nowadays, they don't seem interested in integrating. The other thing that's happening around this time is in Eastern Europe, you have a pogrom going on against Jews. So you have a lot of Eastern European Jews showing up in the United States which also freaks a lot of people out because of prevailing anti-Semitism. This culminates in two different things. One is the Chinese Exclusion Act, where we basically ban anybody from Asia from entering the United States. And how long did that last? Uh, Until about 1965. Wow. Uh, They have one called the National Origins Act, which puts a quota and basically states that people can come in based on how many people of their ethnicity previously lived in the united states so that's going to privilege the english english french irish and germans to a lesser extent but it's going to discriminate against eastern europeans asians africans anybody else the point with it is is that it's meant to privilege the western white european um, monoculture so when they say that, like, well, my daddy came here the right way, well, basically the whole system was set up to privilege that group, right. and our current immigration laws really, there's been some reforms in the '70s and the '60s. There've been some reforms in the '80s, but you still have like a patchwork of like overtly racist 19th century laws that have been watered down a little bit, like in the '70s, you know, the '80s and '60s
0: so same kind of thing with the homestead act
1: homestead act yeah it's the homestead act was not um there wasn't anything like said you could not uh, buy into the homestead Act if you were black or asian or anything else but it's set up in a way that was going to privilege white people because you had to pay what was it 10 bucks 15 bucks something like that Mm -hmm. in order to stake your claim if the Homestead Act comes into effect during the Civil War, so it's like 1862, 1863, something like that. If I'm a new re- newly freed slave in 1865, I'm not going to have the five bucks or ten bucks or whatever it was to file my claim
0: or well, resources
1: to get there. Apparently. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. Did you ever play the Oregon Trail? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need my oxen. I need my. <laughs> clothes. I need to prevent myself from dying of dysentery on the way over. Yeah. <laughs> um it's going to be available to people who have some means. I mean not you'd have to be rich necessarily, but you have to have a little bit. Sure. So that's going to prove Which is more than most Southern African Americans had at the time. Exactly. And yeah. this is also remember we have the Black Coast like eighteen seventy too, so Right. And so it's going to be very difficult for people to find That's. I mean, even finding out about this, I mean, going to have to tell you because until the civil war it's a crime to teach a black person to read in the South. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, let's,
0: um, hit one more kind of big topic, uh, before we wrap it up, because I want to clear up a little bit, uh, of a another maybe foggy term for some people. So our goal today isn't necessarily to solve all the world's problems. Uh, it's maybe just to help others see that they're there. Um, so we'll solve them next episode. (laughs) (laughs) That I've been working on a manifesto. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so how would you define racism? Um, Maybe first you have to define race to
1: do that. I don't know. I'm mean, going to kind of change it around a little bit. It's that the United States, I don't think we're so much a racist society as much as a society based around white supremacism. Okay. And that we were set up for the white population to assume a privilege status, a supreme status. They're the ones that make the laws, have the money, et cetera, et etc. It doesn't mean all white people are doing this, but if you have that, chances are. Now to justify that, you have to start saying lots of things. So it can be it means what I'm trying to say is it means that racism can be both structural and an attitude held by uh, individuals. So somebody might you might see somebody say, well, I won't vote for anybody who's black. Or you might hear somebody, I don't know, who would say something like this. It certainly wouldn't be a president would say that everybody from Mexico are rapists or <laughs> drug dealers or anything. Yeah. That would be personal racism. Somebody wearing a hood, burning a cross. Yeah. That's a personal attitude. But racism is also structural. So we've talked about a couple of those things. we talked about the Homestead Act. There's nothing inherently racist in his writing, but the way it's carried out becomes racist. It becomes because... to privilege someone else. Exactly. So use a foot race analogy again. Mm-hmm. If you want to make things even, what if the, at the end of the Civil War, the Freedmen's Bureau would say give any freed slave or free black who wanted a farm out in nebraska or south dakota you get your acres out there we'll give you the 10 bucks or we'll waive it if you were uh, if you were formerly a slave that would have helped that would have been a way it wouldn't have been race neutral Right. Which I think is um, one of the things we have trouble with is this idea of color blindness. So some people say, "Well, I don't see color. Well, bullshit, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> the idea is if I treat everybody equally, mm-hmm. if I'm nice to everybody regardless of their race, that means I am not a racist. Right. There's trouble with that. like it doesn't acknowledge how unequal this country has been beforehand. Mm. And I think if, say, you did a program like that at the time, and probably now you'd be saying, well, that's ra- that's reverse racism. You're helping somebody. Because a lot of people, when they see
0: um, affirmative action or something helping a minority, and um, what I've heard said, and maybe you can attest to this a little bit, is that um, people are so resistant to that because they can maybe f- feel some of their
1: privilege leaving
0: and that nobody likes
1: that. Yeah. I think it can like manifest sort of like in a status threats. Yeah. There's a really good article on this uh, blog called the weekly SIF and the guy called it distress of the privileged And it basically boils down to that. If you have maintained a privileged status your entire life, all of a sudden, when you are treated like everybody else, it feels a lot like oppression. Right. It feels like discrimination. Yeah. Yeah. We'll use, like, use the baseball analogy again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Imagine that um, we're playing baseball. Mm-hmm. And my dad is the umpire. My uncle is the manager. My other uncle is the manager of the other team. And the commissioner of the league is my grandfather. So... I don't ever so when I go to bats, I can just look at one pitch and then immediately walk to third base. <laughs> everybody else has to hit, but I can walk to third base. Now let's say I transfer leagues and I've been doing this my whole life. I don't realize how the game is played for anybody else in the universe, right? Yeah. All of a sudden I have to swing the bat like everybody else. Hmm. You fucking fascists. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um or imagine you were a average white baseball player in the professional leagues around 1950. Well, around 1970, it was probably a lot harder for you to get into the major leagues.
1: Yeah, It's actually really interesting you bring that up. Because I've heard said, like, um, if you went back to, say like, the 30s, oh. the ones who didn't care were guys like Ted Williams or, like, Lou Gehrig. Hmm. Like, those guys would come out and say, yeah, I'm, I'm in favor of this. Because...
0: They weren't threatened.
1: Yeah. Ted Williams wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Mickey Mantle was not going anywhere. Hmm. But it was those guys who were kind of marginal. Imagine you're like a guy playing in the Brooklyn Dodgers system in 1946. You're a second baseman. You hit about 230 each year. And then Jackie Robinson's in AAA. (laughs) (laughs) I'm (laughs) (laughs) I just lost my job. And you're looking around then. The Negro Leagues at the time, and you see the, you see Satchel Paige, who's like, 106, but can still throw at 95 <laughs> miles an hour. You can, you see, uh, Willie Mays or,
0: yeah,
1: Hank Aaron or whoever else. It's now you had to compete on even playing fields. Right. And, the, yeah, I'm sure that felt very. I don't think anybody wanted to say, "Here, have my job," you know. Yeah. So.
0: And I think this is why it was so easy for us to think that racism was past tense growing up. I didn't know many people who would come out and say, I don't like black people. What I've come to learn now is that racism or the bigger problems we need to address are, I think you said structural, right? Or institutional. What are some examples of current structural
1: racism that you have seen? How is it invisible? The first thing I've written down is segregation. Segregation did not go anywhere. Segregation mandated by law went away, but Mm -hmm. those housing patterns are still there. Right. Um, Schools in the United States are about as segregated as they were in the 1960s. That has not changed one bit. In fact, actually, it's probably gotten worse from where it was in the 70s. That is a major problem in that we don't really live around each other. That much. I mean, we live in a state that's like what, 88%, 90% white? Right. And I think when you have that white supermajority, I think that kind of leaves us like a normativity in people's heads. I think that is going to be one of the major problems. We still see African American wealth as a fraction of what it is for white families, um, average income per year is a fraction of what it is for white families. And we can go right down the list on that. You'll see a similar pattern for Latinos, for Native Americans. Which isn't necessarily because all of the
0: CEOs in America who can offer high-paying jobs are being racist, personally. It's just that, say, the minority people don't typically have as, high, as good of schools. So they don't get into colleges often. So they don't get as good of resumes.
1: Yeah, I don't think, you know... There's other ways you can think of that too. Like, so it's not even necessarily the resume question, though. You can't. There are studies done that show, if I have a resume that says Bill Johnson, another one that says Latroy Hawkins, saying Bill Johnson gets the callback, Mm -hmm. Latroy does not. So a stereotypically black name is less likely to get a callback on the resume. That might be implicit, but also think about. I'll use the Supreme Court as an example. Who gets to be a Supreme Court justice? If you didn't go to Harvard, forget about it. Right. If you didn't go to Yale, forget about it, because they're basically coming from two schools. Mm -hmm. If you look at... We actually have two Supreme Court justices right now who went to the same high school. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Now let's take this to some other thing, like CEOs. Yeah. They're comfortable. People tend to be more comfortable with people who are like them. Right. You, you'll see it with age, with race, with gender. So if, you are, if that's how hiring is done and you've excluded certain groups for a long time, it will perpetuate itself, sometimes almost naturally without any real intent. Well, I got this guy in here, did his interview. Seems like a good guy he went to the same high school as me he's from the same state as me he likes the same movies as me that kind of that kind of shit it's not only you know the educational that plays a part but also it's that socialization as well I think sometimes you see that too when people talk about when they'll say well I'm not a racist but I just don't this is all cultural there's a cultural reason but what they're really saying is that this other group behaves in ways that I feel threatened by right? and are different from me
0: and part of that's
1: human nature wouldn't you say or... I think so yeah. And I think sometimes maybe to conquer that you need to kind of look past some of that stuff and I think everybody kind of I think one of the first things that people need to do too is realize that everybody has prejudices everybody has integrated a lot of this idea um I do this in class sometimes. We talk about like police shootings and stuff. I found this uh, video game kind of thing where basically it would be, it's like a shoot, don't shoot thing, right? Sure. And to measure how quickly you are to shoot at certain groups. And uh, I feel like I need to turn my liberal card in because I'm like a huge racist apparently. (laughs) So I was like twice as fast to pull the trigger on black people as I was on white people. And I found this across the board. Like, every one of my students did that, except the Native students, Mm. who were a lot quicker to shoot the white people. (laughs) Um, My point is that implicit bias can be there. I think maybe understanding that. You know, am I really upset by this, or is it just because they're being different from me? Is this guy really a better candidate for the job, or is it just because he looks like me, sounds like me, is that the reason I feel comfortable?
0: So some of the structural, the big, overarching ideas seem a little bit um, overwhelming for us to maybe be able to affect. But what we can all do is check the those uh, biases, biases
1: or prejudices we all have. Is that kind of your your take Yeah, on that? I think that's why, like, color saying I don't see color. Well, I think that's counterproductive right? because you do, you're just pretending you don't and it's, you can't work on a bias if you pretend you don't have it.
0: How do we find the balance between like wanting to equalize the playing field, but also recognize and wanting, wanting to get rid of those personal biases, but also recognizing that to a certain extent, people do just want to be around people like them.
1: You deal with that by putting yourself in positions that are outside of your scope, comfort area. I mean, talking to people who are different from you and trying to understand their perspective. I think that's, I think that is important. Um, I know it's cliche to say, but just listening to other people. Besides check our own personal biases,
0: is there anything we can do to affect those overarching systems or do you?
1: I think acknowledging they exist is a big is a big thing okay I think there's a lot of denialism mm. in the United States. I think we have this idea that the United States is perfectly equal that's right kind of this libertarian ideal that if you work hard, you'll make it everybody can work regardless of race, religion, color, mm-hmm. creed. but I think that ignores how those overarching things work. I guess it would come down to. Supporting politicians, supporting policies, which would help alleviate that. Sure. So if I'm so if I'm upset about um, school segregation, maybe I should put pressure on my local school board. Support anybody who's promising to end partisan gerrymandering. Uh, try to anybody who's looking for full restoration of the Voting Rights Act. Because uh, there is a lot of voter suppression that goes on in the United States right now, hmm. so I think that is helpful making sure everybody has the ability to vote and express their opinion. I mean, like there are like signs of progress you see um, interracial marriage in ways that you've never like seen before right um, well it wasn't legal <laughs> it wasn't legal we've, you know we've we've had an african American president. we've had and hopefully they won't be the last. What I would, like, the signs I'd be looking for would be equitable political power. I wouldn't see one party act as if their political fortune is based on disenfranchising um, one or more races. Right. I wouldn't see somebody rake it to the White House talking about building a wall to keep out scary foreigners. Sure. I wouldn't see a wish, there would not be a racial wealth gap there would not be a racial income gap.
0: Yeah. And and I hope that if you are listening to this and are kind of, I hope you listen to the end here and um, realize that this isn't a bash white people episode. It's just a, we need to recognize the privilege we have and try to wield it for the good of all people. And um, uh, a rapper I really like called, his name is Propaganda, and he says this, Steve. He says, um, I don't hate America. I just demand she keeps her promises. Uh,
1: I, I like that. Yeah,
0: and I think that's basically what you've been saying this whole time.
1: Yeah, I, I love what America is supposed to stand for, and I think we really... When America gets in trouble is when we fail to live up to what we're supposed to stand for. Thanks
0: for taking time to look up some of that stuff and...
1: Um, Any time.
0: Man, thanks again to Steve for joining us. I hope you guys enjoyed him. Isn't he great? He's really thoughtful and just, I think, articulates things well. Just a reminder, you don't have to agree with everything Steve says Uh, I just think it's important to consider what he's saying and to consider um, how other people have been affected uh, by the history of our country and uh, history of oppression. So don't have to agree, but at least take another look. Hey and thanks to you for making it through this fourth episode, man. Wow, you made it all the way. I'm I'm really uh just flattered that anyone would listen to four extra times of me talking. Man. Anyway. Yeah that wraps up our series on race. Fittingly, Steve got the longest episode. I guess you could just chalk that up to his white privilege. Heh <laughs> Anyway, I want to say thanks again to, uh, my cousin Mikhail and Eric Domkowski getting the music ready for us. And thanks to Adele for working on graphics and f- to Hannah for, uh, helping me out with intros and stuff. And, uh, also just being okay with me sitting at my computer for a while. <laughs> Our listener of the week is my brother, Jesse Decker. You know, Jesse was sharing with me some of his, uh, statistics from uh his summer church league softball and he said he was a
1: a second baseman you hit about 230 each year but can still throw at 95 (laughs) miles an hour
0: so that wraps up our four-part series like i keep saying uh i'm really excited for a couple more episodes i have planned after this coming Soonest will be an episode I, I, where I get to interview my cousins Mitch and Sonia. You're, you're really going to like that one. The timing for those will be a little bit maybe weird because I'm back at school. The easiest way to figure out if it's coming out is follow me on Twitter or subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts so it lets you know when when they come out. I'm just gonna read a couple of the reviews that are up already. This one is by Funny Boy Nine Nine Nine. He says, "Nutritional, a genuine wholesome podcast that will make you think. It's good for the heart and a part of a complete breakfast." Thanks for that, Funny Boy. Uh, this is, this review is from um, er, and it says, "Love it. Down to earth and real, but still." Easy to listen to and fun. I never knew I was easy to listen to, but I, I, I will accept your compliment. And user 0248 says, great idea for a podcast. All right. Thanks, guys, for all those reviews. And uh, for everyone who's been encouraging and, and giving me feedback so far, feel free to keep giving me feedback and like, review, share, share, do whatever you want. And yes, Jesse, I even give you permission to hate this podcast. But if you do, just keep it to yourself. All right. I've got enough haters. Anyway, thanks, you guys. It's late. I'm going to bed.